Happy New Year, Coastline Vineyard. I wasn't here last week, was I? And uh, it is 2023. And I, and I heard Sarah say last week that someone gets saved at Coastline every week. And honestly, we have a lot to celebrate because 56 adults got saved through this church family last year. Isn't that amazing? Michael Franks, our kids pastor, would also say the same amount got saved in kids. But I mean, they, they like give their life every week, but at least they're responding to Jesus, right? It is incredible. So um, as Sarah mentioned, we are going into our New Year series, 40 Days of Holy Spirit. And if you've been around Coastline for any length of time, you'll remember that over the last seven years, in January every year, we've done a 40 Days of series. And really, this is a time for us in this first month of the year to focus and press into what we feel the Lord is sharing with us. That, in a sense, will be a springboard that propels us into all that he is calling us to this year. And if you really want top marks uh, and you want to read along, sometimes uh, people, as we go through various series, like to read something. Artie Kendall, who many of you will know, wrote a brilliant book called 40 Days with the Holy Spirit. I've read loads of it. It's brilliant. So if you want to get a copy of that and read along over the next few weeks, some of what he talks about, we will talk about. We won't be able to cover everything, but it is just uh, great literature to follow some of what we're going to say. So to give you the overview of where we are going, we're going to talk about over the next few weeks how the Holy Spirit speaks, what does it mean to be Spirit-filled, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the church, and what does it mean to walk with the Holy Spirit every day? But as we launch into this new series, and of course, as we start to focus on the Holy Spirit, I thought it would be really important for us to first give some explanation to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this may, for some of you, just be a refresher, and for some of you, this could be life-changing, about how you relate and how you understand God. See, for most of us, our vision of God is pretty small. And no matter how accurate your theology or your study of God or your understanding, the truth is we only really scratch the surface of who God is. It's a bit like God is this bottomless ocean and we mere humans are just like little children splashing around on the shores of understanding. And even though we can't fully understand God, we can know him personally. And he can save us. And he can change us. We know he's doing that all the time through this church. He walks with us each day. And not just each day now on earth, but forever. See, God is transcendent. He is beyond our human experience. But he's also imminent. He's close. He's near. And he's made himself known to us. And the question I really want to try and answer this morning is how has God made himself known to us? Of course, the simple answer to that is he's made himself known to us by Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. He's made himself known to us as the triune God. So to unpack this question further, how has God made himself known to us? I'm going to briefly look this morning at the doctrine of the Trinity. And we must properly uh, properly understand the Trinity because without a proper understanding of the Trinity, there's no salvation. Without a proper understanding of the Trinity, there's no prayer, there's no worship, there's no love, no joy, no holiness in our lives. The Trinity is not a side note of living the kingdom life. It's the pulsing heartbeat of what it means to live the kingdom. Do you agree? So, to try and understand the Trinity, we've not only got to look at the character of God, but also the very being of God. That that God is three in one. This is the core of everything that we believe. Now, the passage I want to read this morning, really to ground everything in, is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. It's going to come up on the screens if you want to open your Bibles, uh, maybe go there. Now, if you don't own a Bible, there is a Bible, hopefully, in the chairs in front of you. And if you don't own one, please take one. It's It's a gift from us. But this short verse is a blessing It is a benediction, and the Apostle Paul here is writing his second letter to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece. And here we have this great Trinitarian verse, arguably one of the clearest Trinitarian verses of all the Bible. So what I'll do is I'll read this verse, and I'm going to read this verse a number of times this morning, and then I'm going to try and give a brief definition of what the doctrine is of the Trinity is, and then I'm going to open it up. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. It says this, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, when we're talking about the Trinity, we have to be careful with definition. When we're talking about the Trinity, we mean that there is one God who exists as three co-equal, co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a diagram that's going to come up that might help you with this. They're one in being. They're united in essence and purpose and power and glory, yet they are all distinct personalities and they're distinct in function. God is one in being. There is only one God. We don't worship three gods. We just worship God. Yet God is plural in personality. Three personalities, co-equal, co-eternal, and have always existed. God has always existed as a community of persons. God is three in one. And maybe some of us listen to that and we think, hey, John, that's a little bit contradictory, right? How can God be both one and three? Well, it's not contradictory. See, God is not one in three in the same sense, in the same way. He is one in being. There is one essence that is God. But within this one being of God, there are three centers of personality. And they've always existed. Father, Son, 
and spirit. All three are united in their attributes, united in power and purpose and glory, yet they relate to us as father, as son, and spirit. They are distinct in personality and function, and they do different things. The father doesn't do what the son does, and the spirit doesn't do what the father and the son does. So very briefly, in a nutshell, that is the doctrine of the Trinity. Thank you. Now, if you're sitting here like me and you're still scratching your head and you're like, I'm going to need to listen to this back online in double slow time. I need to write some of this stuff down. It's okay. We could take weeks and weeks and weeks to speak on this topic. But I found it helpful over the years to use a very small illustration when talking to my children. Now, some of you might not like this illustration, that's fine. But I say to my kids, the Trinity is like water. Water can be water, water can be ice, and water can be steam. They're all different aspects of the same thing, and my kids understand that. So if you remember nothing, maybe just remember that. (laughs) So... To expand our understanding of the triune God that we all worship, I want to use three key words from this small verse, and the three words that I want to use are love, grace, and fellowship. And the three ideas that I want us to explore this morning are number one, the love of the Trinity is the overflow of all love and grace. Number two, the grace of the Trinity is the underpinning of the gospel and our salvation. And number three, our fellowship with the Trinity is the key to living the kingdom life. Number one, the love of the Trinity is the overflow of all love and grace. Notice this passage says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When this passage talks about the love of God, it's a blessing. It's talking about Father God's love being with you and with me. And of course, the scriptures speak a lot about God being love, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The scriptures tell us that God is love. This is the heart of his character. It's at the core of who he is. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. But God's love doesn't depend on the creatures he created. God's love doesn't depend on having creatures to love. He is love and has always been love. See, before creation, before the world was ever created, before you and I ever existed, God was love and he always has been. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know whether you've ever asked this question or maybe your kids have asked you this question. I'm sure my kids have asked me this question. They pummel me with questions all the time. Uh, (laughs) Have any of you ever thought about what God was doing before all eternity, before the creation? Have you ever wondered that? What was God 
doing? Well, the Bible clearly tells us what he was doing in John 17, 24. This is Jesus' prayer the night before he was to be betrayed, and he's praying to the Father, and he's praying for his people. And in John 17, 24, it says this. It says, Father, I desire that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. There it is. What God was doing before the foundation of the world was he was loving the Son. God has always been loved, even when there was no creation. That means that our God is not lonely and solitary and needy. He's infinitely powerful, but it's not just raw, impersonal power. It's not like some impersonal cosmic force like we see in Star Wars. The God of the Bible is actually more personal than any person you've ever met. He's tri-personal. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. And before he created anything, he loved. He's not like this desert that needs us to give him water. He's a fountain who overflows from the fullness of his love. And his love for us doesn't depend on our love for him. His love for us is the overflow of the rich fullness that has always existed. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17, 24 and 25, he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need our love. And you know what? That's good news for us because it means that the foundation of his love for us is nothing to do with us. The foundation of his love for us is this overflow of the fullness of his heart from within his triune existence. And of course, he invites all of us to experience his love and to adore his glory. The love of the Trinity is the overflow of all grace and love. The reason that God can show love and grace to us is because God is love and he's always been love. Number two, the grace of the Trinity is the underpinning of our gospel and our salvation. Again, back to our text. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is a gospel of grace. Of course, we're loved and we're saved by our triune God. But here in this benediction, it's clear that grace comes to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes to us from Jesus. And I think it's true to say that Jesus is the channel by which all streams of grace flow to us from God. John Owen, who was a 17th century congregationalist uh, pastor in the Puritan era, he said this, 
He said, when God designed the great and glorious work of recovering fallen man and saving of sinners to the praise of the glory of his grace, he appointed in his infinite two great means thereof. <laughs> I love that. God did two things in order to glorify himself through salvation. He gives us his son and he gives us his spirit, his son to redeem us, to save us, and his spirit to dwell and live in us. Isn't that awesome? Now look, what we find as we go through the different works of God in the Bible is that each work of God has this kind of triune, trinitarian shape. We see it in creation, we see it in the incarnation, we see it in the resurrection. But let me just briefly uh, share with you um, a couple of these so you can understand what I'm saying. First of all, let's think about the cross. Most of the time, when we think about uh, Jesus and, and the cross, we just think about Jesus, right? The Son was the one who died on the cross. Not the Father, not the Spirit. Jesus, the Son, the God-man, died as an atoning sacrifice for our sin to make us right with God again. But when Jesus died on the cross, the whole Trinity was at work. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 says this, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of flesh, if that totally is over your head, <laughs> we're talking about the Old Testament and how God atoned for sins right back then. It goes on to say this, how much more will the blood of Christ, there's the Son, through the eternal spirit, there's the Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. There's the Father. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I mean, right there, we have the whole Trinity. We've got the Son making an offering through the eternal Spirit to God. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying in order to offer himself to the Father to vindicate and absolve the Father's justice and demonstrate his love and secure the salvation of all of us. And he made this offering in the power of the Spirit. Galatians 4, this is our assurance of salvation. Paul says in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. Again, do you see that? God sent the son to redeem those who were under the law and he sent his spirit into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father ultimately adopting all of us, sons and daughters, into his family, guaranteeing all believers with this inheritance. We're in God's family. We're now legal heirs. But back to the point. God sent his son and God sent his spirit 
gospel, the gospel redemption is Trinitarian. And we could look at passage after passage after passage and see this Trinitarian shape going on throughout the scriptures because the Trinity is essential to the gospel of our salvation. We know that we are children of the Father, saved by the Son, in communion with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Every blessing, both spiritual and material, comes to us from the triune God. So number one, the love of the Trinity is the overflow of all love and grace. Number two, the grace of the Trinity is the underpinning of the gospel of salvation. And number three, our fellowship with the Trinity is the key to living the kingdom. I'll say it again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here Paul commends the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And this word fellowship here, it talks about relationship. It's actually the word for communion. It means relationship that's characterized by giving and receiving. And what Paul is saying here is that we have this communion, this participation with God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What I want us to see here is that this is the key to living the kingdom life. A couple of last texts uh, to help us understand this. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I mean, this might be one of the most important verses in the whole of the Bible on prayer and worship because it tells us how we get into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You don't get to the Father through your own strength or your own merits. You have access to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what shapes our understanding of, of worship and of prayer. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this. He said, an ordinary Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He's trying to get in touch with God, but he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside of him. But he also knows that his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. See, God is the thing to which he is praying. If you like, the goal he's trying to reach. God is also the thing inside of him which is pushing him on. God is the one motivating. It's the motivating power pushing him towards that goal. The, the threefold life of the three-person being of God is actually motivating all the time, in ordinary places and spaces, all over the world, as ordinary men and women pray. Followers of Jesus are being pulled into God by God. We come to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us 
with the Holy Spirit working inside of us. That's one of the reasons I think it's super important for us to pray in Jesus' name. They're not just throwaway words that we kind of use at the end of a prayer. The reality is the only way we get to God is through Jesus. Jesus, God, said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means if we don't know Jesus, we don't know God. If we don't come to God through Jesus, we don't get to God. There is no access to God apart from Jesus. But through Jesus, there is a real relationship with God as Father. Last text. I know there's a lot in this. You might need to watch it back online. John 16, 13 to 15. This is Jesus here speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing what he says, and it is so crucial for our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, to be an apprentice to Jesus. He says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think this verse shows us this Trinitarian pattern about how we have a relationship with God. You've got the Father relating to the Son through the Spirit. You've got the Son who mediates between us and the Father. And the Spirit is the one who comes and shows us the things of Jesus and leads us into the truth of God. The pattern of our relationship back to God, it's through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit living in us. The Son is the mediator between God and men to the Father, so that grace and strength and glory comes to us from the Father. Our faith and our prayer and our worship, it comes from us by the Spirit, through the Son to the Father. And if that isn't the baseline of our understanding of kingdom living, then all this becomes is lukewarm Christianity. Without power, without forgiveness, without the mediator, without a relationship, it turns us into cold, hard-hearted legalists. This whole Christian thing is about having a daily relationship with the Trinity It's about real, dynamic, interactive relationship of giving and receiving and relating to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, we don't want to be a church who is lukewarm, do we? We want to be a church set on fire spiritually and used to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel and advance across our town and our nation. And this comes by us properly understanding this wonderful triune God every single day. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.